0: This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy What Pig. We are back. That's right, Geek Gab for Saturday, September 10th, 2016. This is episode I I I think it's episode 67. No wait, it's episode 68. 68 of these episodes, if you can believe it, we have done this 68 times. Far too many times for any reasonable person to have to sit here and do. By the way, John, speaking of things that have gone on way too long, how was your work week?
1: Uh, It's been a a slow one. It's been a good one, though. I got back into the groove two weeks in a row of solid D&D play. Played for for four straight hours. And uh, and um, got a couple more episodes of Stranger Things in. It's been a great, great week. How about you
0: guys? See, I remember tweeting out that I had not watched the debates uh, because I was busy playing Fallout 4 and watching Batman the Animated Series, and then you had tweeted out that you were doing something completely different during the debates. What were you doing during the debate?
1: Well, I said I was playing Dungeons and Donalds, of course. Uh <laughs> Uh, which is a great, great Twitter account. If you're uh, a fan of D&D or a fan or hater of uh, Donald Trump, it's a great, it's a great uh, comedy account. Um, no, I was, I was playing. I have an after-work game uh, that I do with some coworkers um, uh, who, who are slowly becoming regular gaming uh, pals, and uh, so I did that instead of, you know, pay attention to possibly the future of our nation
0: was uh is there anything new or disastrous that has gone on down that people might find uh funny I
1: know it's been slow in fact in fact the uh the team doesn't miss a single secret door, so they've been exploring all the crazy secret uh uh nooks and crannies of uh, of the uh, of the uh big dungeon that I've got set up for them it's uh It's been a little slow I haven't killed the mage again yet. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, uh, we will keep that in mind. By the way, I think our audience is sitting on the edge of our seats, waiting to hear of a of another time when the mage gets taken down and slaughtered. So, uh, now, I Brian, I know, uh, I know you have an anecdote from this week because again, I saw that on Twitter as well. Um, something about a a cafe and a, a squeeing? Do you want to do you want to relate that anecdote to the audience?
2: Oh, you're talking about where I. Ran into another rider at my uh, Dragon Award celebration party.
0: Was that at the awards celebration party?
2: Yeah, I got oh, yeah. some family. Sorry. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got some family and friends together at a local pub around here, called Richard's, one of our favorite watering holes, and uh, I was... Pre- presented with, because uh, I do not have my Dragon Award for Soul Dancer. It is probably currently in New York with Declan Finn, or slowly making its way through the U.S. Postal System to my mailbox, so my mom actually went down to Hobby Lobby and had this beautiful framed certificate made up with the, the cover of Soul Dancer, and like, the, the front page from the Dragon Award website explaining what the award is, and we had a great time, but during a little in the conversation, uh, I was walking back from the bathroom, and this lady sitting at a booth with this dude just kind of reached out and grabbed my arm and said, "Wait, wait a minute! Excuse me!" I couldn't help overhearing. "Are, are you a writer?" And I said, "Yeah, hi, I'm Brian Meyer," and gave her my business card. And she said, "I'm a local author. I'm still worrying about how to approach getting published. I'm almost done with my first manuscript," and you know, she asked me some pointers, and I told him to go ahead and email me, and then found out later that uh, she had uh, tweeted out when something along the lines of when eavesdropping pays off, and you end up meeting Brian Neymar. like I'm <laughs> something important. So That was fun.
0: Um, speaking of Declan Finn, to interrupt Brian really quickly... Um... Next week, our guest is Sky Hernstrom, and the week after that, our guest is Declan Finn. Um, so we are, we are getting chock full up with guest after guest um, on The Gab here. So if you know people who are fans of either of those writers, let them know they will be coming on the show. So was there anything else other than we we just kind of skipped the important announcement though didn't we we kind of backed into the important announcement because we haven't actually announced anything we haven't actually announced that on the show have we
1: no we haven't talked about it it's oh been, it's, my. it's been a long long lonely week
0: do, do you want to now that we've completely spoiled the announcement with a with a uh, with a story do you want to announce the actual announcement. Sure. If it's
2: what I'm thinking of, and if not, I'm going to. you a could, huge
0: idiot, but I'm going to go ahead. You could maybe try to put a little bit more excitement into your voice. It, I'm just suggesting. I'm just saying.
1: This is, this is Brian. He's going to play it cool.
0: <laughs>
2: I am excited. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is his excited voice.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Brian's excited voice.
2: No, no, what I am is just really tired because ever since this happened, I've, I've had a lot of chainsaws to juggle. But no, so after, okay, I've got to set this up because as you guys might know, my fans were kind enough and had enough faith in me to nominate me for the John W. Campbell Jr. Award for Best New Writer, which is given out at the Hugo Awards. For those few of you who don't know the results of that contest, not only did I finish last, but I finished last behind no award. So I actually had five possible slots, I finished in sixth. Okay? So that is not only a clear signal from the typical Worldcon voters that I'm not welcome at the table. I'm not welcome at the kids' table. They set me up leading the tramp style out on the alley on like a used power company spool or something. Now, normally I don't care, but the thing is I work for my readers. They They are my Patrons and Sovereigns, I do not brook insults to their honor. So, I went ahead, and I'd done a couple of posts um, promoting the dragons, but I really was only kind of half-heartedly campaigning for Soul Dancer, which got nominated for a dragon, by the way, because I didn't think there was a chance I was going to win. I was up against Declan Finn and Sherry Priest and a couple of traditionally published authors with big followings. But after this, I was like, no. No, I'm going to win this now. Because <laughs> this, this creates an underdog narrative. <laughs> and it just goes to show that all the claims that the dwarves the at Worldcon do not understand storytelling are true. Because they didn't see me coming here. <laughs> so, yeah, I put up a series of uh, tweets and blog posts and said, yeah, you no, know, they, they made us finish six out of five. Let's serve them a nice tall glass of Shut Up and win the dragon. And that's what happened. So, you guys did it uh, for my readers out there. This is your victory. I did it to honor you, and I dedicate Soul Dancer's win for best horror novel at the first ever Dragon Awards to you.
1: Best horror novel? They have that now? Uh, Horror. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, that's actually really great. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, the other
2: ones, the Hugos would be the, the other one. Um,
0: yeah. So, um, congratulations to Brian on winning uh, the inaugural Dragon Award for Best Horror Novel. Um, and congratulations also, did, did I say this last week, John? Did I go over like the four big winners last week, the four people I actually cared about?
1: Uh, I don't think we talked about it, actually
0: on oh, my word. Okay, I did it on my blog. I just want to say this. Uh, the four people I actually care about who won Dragon Awards, all of them are friends of mine, or good friends of mine, and all of them have been on this show. So for aspiring writers out there, apparently the secret path, the unknown path to winning a Dragon is to come on GeekGab. That is apparently the inside track. Um, because without coming on Geek Gab, I absolutely, utter, utterly sure that relative unknowns such as Larry Korea, and John C. Wright and Nick Cole would never, ever, ever have gotten the massive audience necessary to score a win on the Dragon Awards. <laughs> well, in the meantime, we have a guest here. Congratulations so... to those three, and uh, we do have a guest. Do you, uh, you want to introduce our, our guest? By the way, folks, we we have a division of labor here. Uh, Our guest is a writer, so this is how it works. Brian read her book for this week, so one of us would know what they were talking about. I got to know general geek culture so we could converse on that level, and John gets to be quiet because he doesn't read or write, he plays video games. That's how we agreed to divide the labor for this week. Next week, I'm reading the book so that one of us knows what we're talking about, Brian is keeping up on geek culture so he can interact with the guests, and once again, John plays video games so he can be quiet.
1: Every comment I make in chat is pure serendipity. We're talking monkeys at the keyboards here.
0: <laughs> That's true. Johnny's keeping track of of, uh, of our chat this week. So Brian, Susan McPhail is our guest this week. She is an author. She is a published author who people pay for her books. Unlike certain people who are handing out free advice on Twitter, <clears throat> Damien <clears throat> of the Guardian, give us a great introduction, Brian.
2: Yes, it's my pleasure to introduce to you author Susan McPhail of Silver Empire Publishing run by my good friend Mr. Russell Newquist and her book is Treasures of Doderzeb, The Origin Key a smart mix of fantasy and historical fiction so take it away Susan.
3: Well hello boys glad to be here and uh, I'm just fascinated And just I've been laughing myself silly listening to you guys. So you know, I'm not even sure what I would like to even talk about tonight. It's just too much fun listening to the three well, two of you and John. I know you're there. Wow! uh,
0: (laughs) Other people can hear you now.
3: (laughs) Oh, but it's it's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me, and thank you so much, Brian, for actually taking the time to read my book. It, uh, it means a lot from someone who is a Dragon Award winner to say that they enjoyed my very first novel. Uh, it's, and, and now that I hear, I, I just heard recently through the grapevine that an appearance on Geek Gab is a prerequisite for winning a Dragon Award, so I now have higher hopes than I've ever had about this writing career that I'm, I'm trying to get off the ground.
2: It, it is all about your state of mind. That's a good start.
3: <laughs> well, you know, go big or go home. So I'm going to give it a shot.
0: Who doesn't need a whole dragon, right? <laughs> have you seen the uh, Have you seen the awards, John?
1: I haven't. Oh, you mean the actual the actual physical objects?
0: Yeah, the trophy themselves are gorgeous.
1: Yeah, they're like like crystal tears with dragon's blood or something i'm not sure what they're supposed to represent but they look cool.
0: they look like flames they are gorgeous oh flaming awards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. you know that sounded that sounded a lot less gay before you started talking about them
1: <laughs> i just have a way with words it's amazing i'm not an author yet
0: so um historical fantasy mixed with historical fiction
3: yeah, a little bit of sci-fi thrown in. It's It's got a lot of flavors to it, but uh, for me, it works. If I can give you a quick synopsis, maybe, or Brian, so, if you'd like to do a quick synopsis. Oh, no, you, know. you
2: go ahead. You're, you're okay. the author.
3: I'm the author, and you know how it is when you've written something, and it's so hard to describe it to someone, and you're standing there, and there's a person potentially who would buy your book if you could only find the right words to describe it? Uh, That's kind of where I find myself these days, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, It takes place in third century in Persia, starts in Persia. There's a warrior prince who is on a quest to find a criminal who has attacked the king of the Persian Empire and nearly killed him. In the course of the quest, the prince discovers a hidden kingdom that has kept itself isolated from the rest of the world and of course he's tracking the criminal so he thinks that this kingdom is hiding the criminal but what they're actually hiding is a lot more interesting than just giving refuge to some murderous person and he invades the kingdom and comes across a very feisty princess and it's not as Disney as it sounds but you know this this is me this is what I would like to write so at some point He and the princess must decide if they're going to either be enemies or become allies and solve the mystery of what's actually going on with the criminal who is wreaking havoc in the region. And there is the synopsis of my book.
2: Well done. Now a question I had, so this book is intended to set up a series, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, what are your plans for the series tentatively?
3: Uh, well, at the, well, I don't want to give away the end of the first book, but right. there's um, the plans for the series are basically that the same core group of main characters are going to continue to have further adventures. And there's an awful lot of um, this the secret stuff that's in the Hidden Kingdom will come to light a little bit at a time. And we may actually find out the origins of where these people came from who have all these secrets. So there's there's a lot of different ways it could go, and I'll have to practice a little bit more before I get really good at describing what's going to happen in the next book without giving away what's in the
0: first book. So
3: bear with me on that.
0: Well, absolutely. So have you done, like, uh, book signings or readings at cons or Q&As and stuff like that yet? Uh
3: no readings yet uh, we did do a uh, score of a small local event where we had a book launch party, and I did a, a some signings and things there, and lots of picture taking and people wanting to pose with the author and this and that kind of thing and I actually felt like a published author when we did that. That was a lot of fun.
0: Are there any uh, really really dumb questions you got asked
3: um, well i wouldn't want to describe any question as a dumb question, but I was left a tiny bit speechless by the young lady that asked me, well, is this ever going to be in hardback? <laughs> and because we were selling paperbacks, and of course, it's available on Amazon.com for, um, you know, in both ebook and paperback version, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I, am, I have achieved the highest mountain. You know, I have published a book. You can buy it and hold it in your hand, you can get it on your Kindle, and somebody is asking me, will this ever be in hardback? And I'm thinking, what century are you from, you know? (laughs) But I, I wouldn't say that was a stupid question, but it did make me ponder like, oh my god, is there still something I haven't done correctly yet? You know, well maybe if there's a second edition, maybe, you know, I'll get two or three printed in hardback, put one on my own shelf, I don't know. But uh, as far as stupid, to to my way of thinking, if you're writing science fiction and fantasy, the kind of stuff that we tend to come up with is... there's nothing stupid out there. You know? I mean, to a lot of people who don't enjoy reading science fiction and fantasy, what we write is probably, you know, they might see it as sort of irrelevant and a little stupid, but you know, if you love sci-fi and fantasy, There's nothing that's stupid, because anything can be made plausible if you write it correctly, I think.
2: There's an old saying that the verbal description of the plot of any piece of speculative fiction just sounds completely moronic.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can go with that, because, yeah, it makes sense to me.
2: Yeah, I I mean, think about it. Farm boy on a desert planet follows a couple of sassy robots to rescue a princess yeah. from a giant space moon and their lasers and laser swords.
0: So, yes, we-
3: but that's go, go
0: ahead. Oh no, please. I I was just going to ask a question if the if the I have a question ready if the conversation falters.
1: I was going to say you ruined that description with the laser swords at the end because I'd read anything with laser swords. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. It sucks. It's really terrible now. Can I? Get, I'm going to complain for just a second. No, no complaint. Um, Laser swords have been around forever. They're part of like the Buck Rogers serials in uh, old time movie serials from the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. They're part of a whole bunch of stuff, but they kind of fell out of. Uh, popularity during the 50s and 60s and now they're simply stamped with a Star Wars seal so that if anybody uses laser swords they're quote unquote ripping off Star Wars even though the fact is that George Lucas took them from the scads of works that used to have them and it's kind of irritating because I would love to use laser swords in all kinds of stuff that was my complaint.
1: I did not know that, that's terrible
0: is it time to question now have i adequately killed the conversation to open up the uh, to surreptitiously open up the route for my own question now
1: uh, in, in Please, only the way you can anymore big <laughs> um,
0: the question is my question is this when did you decide to um, throw away financial security and sanity to pursue the rab- to to jump down the rabbit hole of a writing career um, and why?
3: Why? Because I've been like, like a well, I've been a sci-fi geek pretty much my whole life, and at, there just came a point in time when um, I, you know, I had been working full time and I had enjoyable jobs, and then I had some jobs that were less enjoyable, and the last uh, full-time job I had sort of uh went away and I had a little bit of time on my hands and I'm still into you know reading sci-fi reading fantasy going to the movies seeing what superhero movies seeing everything and it's one of those things that well you know I think I might have some entertaining stories to tell myself and so I thought you know I' I'll give this a shot I'll see what comes of it And over the course of writing a novel, where I was actually learning how to write fiction as I was trying to write the novel, so that's why it took forever, but um, it was fun. I invented characters. I had conversations with my characters, and they would would reply to me, you know, so I think, you know, the, the imagination was really working well, or else I am certifiable. Either way, I have a book out of it. So, but you know, it's it, it's kind of it, you could almost say it's like a bucket list kind of thing. It's like I wanted to challenge myself. You know, can I actually write something that is at least moderately entertaining and has a beginning, a middle, and end, characters that actually say intelligent words and that have story arcs that take them from one place to another place and make it all work. And so, you know, it's like yeah and now I'm addicted to it, and I have the the next novel is underway, and I'm ready to do this,
2: so you can't stop is essentially what it is
3: no i I can't no yeah,
2: that's that's really the only reason to do this i I sympathize <laughs> but I'm curious about the writing process that went into the origin key. How much historical research did you do
3: tons tons um I started out my adult life in college as an archaeology and anthropology major. And that lasted right up until I met my future husband and dropped out of college. And so then you know the adulting had to begin. And so that took up a, an awful lot of time for several decades and raising children and then you know looking forward to the grandkids and everything and and uh it is but it's something that has never left me. I am such a huge fan of the Indiana Jones series because he was an archaeologist. despite the fact that it's Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford still today. I mean back in the day he was like yummy, you know, but today even, you know,
0: oh, I know. he's
3: my guy. You don't know that? Okay. That's all. No, right. no. I said, oh, but, I <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> okay, he's mine. You can't have him. Back off. But anyway, but no, I it's it's just I loved the ancient history and studying other cultures and you know, pottery shards and the whole bit. So that's always been with me and I am a I'm actually a kind of a fan of uh, ancient aliens on TV but i think it's nothing but a comedy show but they are hilarious but how they how they want to put aliens in every single aspect of ancient human history fascinates me it's like how do they do that they are the best fantasy writers on tv i think sometimes you know but as far as doing a lot of research i really enjoyed reading about ancient persia learning about some of their military history and then going further back than that in reading about um, Alexander the Great because in my story the uh, uh, Alexander the Great who conquered Persia in what was it like 333 or 332 BC or something like that that's several centuries before my story takes place but the hero in my story as a Persian Prince despises Alexander the Great for the fact that Alexander conquered persia and it was 600 years ago but he like still holds a grudge against alexander the great but uh i i uh, i just love doing the research and i love reading about it all it doesn't all make it into the book i'm not writing a history book right but i do want to you know steep myself in the history of the period and at least have a a good grounding in what was going on in you know that era so and I hope that comes across in the book too. I it, just I don't
2: know. It certainly does. I, and I found the take on Alexander of Macedon really compelling because it you know the old style of history is written by the winners. Right. In civilization we grew up hearing just how awesome Alexander the Great was.
0: Exactly. And it's
2: it's cool to see it from the other side's point of view.
0: Mhm. And
2: I thought that came through really well. It actually made me consider it, you know, put myself in the protagonist's shoes and think about, wow, you know, if my country had been defeated in a similar fashion, how, how would I feel about the, the conqueror that everyone else in the world seems to love? They're yeah. kind of putting right. a chip on my shoulder, too. Well,
3: uh, I appreciate that you're, you're being able to tell me that, because that was one of the things that, as I started to write the book, I thought, you know, this is one of the things going to define my hero. His, you know, his ideas about this and that and the other thing, and and I just didn't know if the average reader would even, you know, Alexander who? You know, well, I, I have I'm no idea.
2: A, I'm not exactly the average reader because I have a history degree as well. Oh, but
3: My <laughs> kind of guy, yeah. <laughs> Thanks.
2: no I, I, I deeply enjoyed that.
3: Well good. Good. I mean, it, there's a, a whole lot of stuff that's going on in the book, but there are some overarching themes, you know, I think. You know, there's the theme of, you know, does the militaristic expansionist empire coming up against the very small, more or less sort of socialist society, you know, how is that going to turn out? Who's going to come out on top? Or do they actually both learn that there are probably good reasons to meet somewhere in the middle, you know, but be that as it may. I mean, I just wanted it to be a very fun adventure, but I just couldn't write something that was just sort of mindless, sparkly vampire heroes, you know. So you you
2: hate money, in in other words.
3: Well, that's that's the problem. That's the problem. I'm just angry that I didn't think of sparkly vampires first. And they're already taken, so I had to go in a different direction. So I thought, well, maybe if I get to live long enough, I will find my own version of something that will make as much money as a big sparkly vampire. But, you know, by the time I do that, it'll be my grandchildren who are reaping the benefits. (laughs) Not me, but, you know, that's okay.
2: Well, it's very altruistic.
3: (laughs) Yeah, tell my family that.
0: So are um, are there any particular writers that you uh, admire particularly as far as their style goes or um, what they write?
3: Well, um, I was going to say Brian Niemeyer, but I must confess that I have not finished (sighs) The yet, and I'm so very sorry I haven't had time to do that. I did start it.
1: It took me a year to do it. Don't worry about it.
3: Oh, wow. You write fast. It took me from the time I first started to write until I kind of had a finished, polished something that was publishable. It took me closer to two years, but, you
1: know. Oh, I meant to to read it. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I'm so sorry. Um,
2: It It took me like 10 years to write, so don't feel bad.
3: Oh, now I feel so much better yeah I do feel okay my my bad I'm sorry, but okay, but no but as, as far no i I did start it, and i'm was really i hated to put it down, but i had life intervened as it sometimes does, and uh I can't wait to get back to it, but I like the style that you're writing in it's it's um it's just fascinating to me as far as going back to when I was you know back in the dark ages when I was a teenager. I was reading a lot of uh, Heinlein and Asimov, you know, all the the typical, you know, the big names in sci-fi and sort of getting, you know, getting my head wrapped around the kind of themes and things that you'd find in sci-fi, but I also, I like Stephen King's style of writing. Now his books are not all equally great and I have some favorites and some that are just I can't do. But he writes; his narratives are so very well put together and easy to follow along, and he he tells a great story, you know. So I I like that. But um, there's I've I've read too many different things over the course of all these years to to be able to say that there was any one or two or even three particular authors who had influenced the way I write. They have but I couldn't name them if you understand what I'm saying. Sure. You know, I've just been influenced by everything I've ever read and everything I've ever watched on TV and every movie I've ever seen and that's probably why my book is, is sort of a mishmash and a genre mashup and whatever else we may want to tag it as but um, I don't know.
2: Well, you, you definitely still have a clear voice, though. Oh, uh, and that's thank you. you. You do. And you know, I, I found it very very pleasing, so I was able to uh, finish reading your book very quickly, which is unusual for me. Oh.
3: Great. Great.
2: Hey, you're on the right track. And don't worry about... Fin- don't rush. <laughs> do not rush when reading <laughs> Nithereal, as... Uh, recent reviewer said, it doesn't reward close reading as much as it demands it, but <laughs> ah, I, I ask okay. only what is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's just a
1: really nice way of saying use way too many big words, Brian. <laughs> uh, to Are you supposed
2: to
3: right right. be speaking? <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <Catching> <laughs> box.
1: I... Back. <laughs> I I like you. You should come back on again.
3: <laughs> well, okay. Let's see if you still feel that way when we're done. Okay.
0: How come nobody told me that the next Larry Korean and John Ringo e for Monster Hunter Sinners was out? Nobody told me that. Anywhere. On Twitter, on Facebook, in person.
2: I shared it on Facebook. Uh, we apparently missed it. No, Larry told me the, the story behind how that happened. Where he, he approached, he was approaching people for a Monster Hunter anthology. He went up to Ringo, he was like, "Hey, man, do you have a short story or something you'd like to write in the Monster Hunter universe?" And Ringo was like, "Boom! Well, I've got these three complete fanfic novels I wrote in my spare time." <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, okay."
0: <laughs> That's actually a fun question. Susan, if there was anybody that you could write uh, fanfic novels in their universe and end up co-writing with it, what universe would it be and why?
3: Oh, wow. Well, always been a huge Star Trek fan from, you know, the original series, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like I know those characters so well, that I know them too well and they're like old hat and they're like, you know, all you know not so much entertaining anymore, but you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I'd love to write some Indiana Jones type adventures though. You know, get my archaeologists out there discovering all sorts of crap. You know?
2: I, I would love Far to see that in your style.
3: Oh. Let me ask you guys something. Did um, are, are any of you sort of fans of the Indiana Jones movies? And did you or did you love or did you hate the fourth one? The Kingdom yeah. of the Crystal yeah. Skull.
0: Oh Crystal I think that terrible. terrible.
1: Yeah, that's really yeah. Terrible. what I totally, totally loved it. Did not yeah. like the movie though. I'm sorry, I mean I totally love the series, not the fourth okay. one, the Crystal Skull.
3: Okay. What yeah. what was it about the Crystal Skull that you didn't like? What made it a bad movie? Or what ruined the Indiana Jones
2: experience? They took, the, they took the easiest answer at every point in the plot. It was, it was lazy. It was lazily written.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. For for me, it was the character itself. Um, it, Indiana Jones wasn't quite the you know the same old Indiana Jones. You know, he he got a little older. He lost a step. It it um, and it was a little too much um, Halloween. A little too much Halloween costumes, sort of plastic swords fighting. If you know what I mean, you know. In the earlier Indiana Jones movies, you know, when he had to, he, he shot people, but it didn't feel like sure. that. It felt too disnified.
0: There, there was way too much CGI, and along with the CGI, and along with the, it was the George Lucas problem that really blighted many of the action scenes in the uh, prequel trilogy, which was. Too much stuff happening too fast mm. uh, threw the audience out of the action. It feels unreal. Your brain can't accept it. It doesn't feel like it, it was actually happening. Whereas in the original Indiana Jones movie, even when fantastic things were happening, it was grounded enough in reality that your brain could follow along, and the physics were just acceptable enough that you could believe that someone could do that because it was just barely within the bounds of plausibility. But that whole scene right. in the jungle when they're driving along and the monkeys oh. and he's swinging through the trees on yeah. the lines, I'm not even talking about the psychic stuff. I'm not even talking about the alien stuff. I'm not even talking yeah. about the nuclear bomb in the fridge. I'm just talking about that jungle chase scene made yeah. no since it was physically impossible and it completely ruined that whole sequence. Um you know, they they did so many things that were just stupid that end up not mattering at all. Bring back his son and he looks like Marlon Brando and a just not an interesting <laughs> character. They brought back uh, Marion Ravenwood, and she her only job was to sit driving the truck and grinning like a maniac. She didn't matter in the movie. She mattered a lot in the plot of the first movie. She didn't matter at all in the fourth movie. It, it isn't just that they made lazy choices. I'm saying Brian's right. They didn't make lazy choices. They made bad choices. They made choices that didn't matter to the plot. Here's the thing, if you're going to be building a plot and you're going to introduce an element, whatever that element is, it has to matter. Even if all it's going to do is misdirect the audience as to where you're really going to go, even if it's a red herring, it has to matter, especially in a movie where you only have two, two and a half or, you know, if you're Peter Jackson ten hours in one movie, (laughs) to. To get this plot in, something has to matter. You can't just throw stuff in there just to be there, and none of the stuff they put in there mattered.
2: And, and i right. got to say, having read The Origin Key, Susan's got that down.
3: Oh, I love you. Can you come to my house?
2: <laughs> well, possibly I just uh, exhausted my travel budget going to Salt Lake City, oh. but uh, okay. we'll, we'll keep in touch. Thank you.
3: Okay. Yeah, it's like, you know, I just, like I said, I'm just new to this, and to hear someone who is an award-winning author have (laughs) kind words for my book, I'm just, I'm blown away. I love you.
1: So, you're, you're the big Indiana Jones fan. I was actually curious to hear your answer.
3: Well, I'm a very forgiving Indiana Jones fan. I was just glad to see that they had made a fourth movie and it's not one of the best of the series at all but you know I'm a huge uh, Harrison Ford fan and I didn't mind seeing him playing an older Indy and like you say though, there were some annoying things about it that scene in the jungle driving through the jungle just went on and on forever and it was like come on already you know let's just move the plot forward a little bit this is this was fun for the first minute but you know how many hours are we going to be sitting here watching this you know but uh, what surprised me was a lot of um, a lot of the the um, people who saw it at the same time that I saw it in the theater who were the age of my grown children said that they hated it because you know what's this with uh, communist Russians where are the Nazis the Nazis are supposed to be Indiana Jones's nemesis And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, he got older. He can't keep playing Indiana Jones at that age. So it makes total sense that he was older and now the new threat was not the Nazis, but was, you know, communists from Russia and mind control and this and that, you know, and the bomb and all that kind of stuff. So the historical setting of it to me made total sense. and, And I, you know, I liked that aspect of it that they had let Indiana Jones age into an era where they, you know, the world still needed him to look out for us. I guess you know and do his thing as an old man. But you know, I I do agree with a lot of the criticisms of the movie that there were just you know plot points that were like you know what are they doing and and. But overall, I'm just too big of a fan of Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones to find too much fault with it.
1: So, yeah, it, so it, I can't. That, no, that sounds really good. I, I want to know if, if I could, if I could uh, rephrase that. It sounds like you might agree with the fact that uh, while it was a bad movie, it wasn't a bad continuation of the Indiana Jones story. Like, you, you found yeah. the whole thing plausible.
3: Right. Right, you know, basically, well, I'm not sure I find, well, you know, I'm not, I could find aliens made of crystal plausible. Like I say, if you write it well enough, anything can be plausible. But, you know, yeah, it's it's it was not the best movie in the series by a long shot, but I was just happy that there was another one, you know? So, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I might phrase that as, it was a decent premise with a poor execution.
3: Okay, there you go. I can agree with that.
2: I was excited to see it. I was excited about it. Atomic Age sci-fi kind of uh, kind of 50s-area Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, that, that idea is appealing, but yeah, like Daddy War Pig, I, I got to agree, they, they flubbed the execution.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it could have been better. Could have been a lot better. But that's as far as I'm willing to diss, Okay.
1: That's that's what they're going to say about. about uh, That's our tagline now for the Geek Cab. Daddy wore pig in the Geek Gab. It could have been better. <laughs> oh,
2: no, 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 no. I'd like to see William Castle direct an Indiana Jones movie. Then. So um, I'm not
3: familiar with William Castle. What has he done?
2: Oh, he did um, The Tingler. And house on the original house on Haunted Hill.
3: Ah, okay.
2: this guy was always kind of ah. chasing Hitchcock. And...
3: Gotcha. Now I know. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you? Uh, we are out of time. Do you have any any final words for the uh, audience?
3: Um, my book, *The Treasures of Dodrazeb The Origin Key*, is available for sale on Amazon.com it's available in both paperback and as an ebook, and we'd love for you to please get your copy and then leave me a review on Amazon
0: That's yes, uh, very important.
2: I cannot we, stress that enough.
0: We'll put a link to the novel in the description.
3: Thank you so much. That's awfully sweet of you to do that.
0: Brian, any last words?
2: Yes, well, since we have authors flogging their books, uh, my camel-nominated book, Soul Cycle Book 1, is currently available. Kindle and in paperback, as is the Dragon Award winner for Best Horror Novel, Soul Dancer, the sequel to *Netherial*. And I invite you to purchase those books, and if you've already read them, please leave an Amazon review to inform other readers' choices, and give me feedback, which helps me improve
1: my
0: writing. Any last words, John?
1: Uh, thanks for listening, and thank you so much for joining us, Susan McPhail. It's been great.
0: Oh, thank you so much. All right, we appreciate you uh, appreciate coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. All right, folks, this is Geek Gab for Saturday, September tenth, two 2016, episode 68, Super Susan McPhail Saturday. Uh, as always, we broadcast live on YouTube, so you can join us in the chat. You can also catch us on iTunes, subscribe to us through iTunes if you want to listen to us on your favorite iDevice. Just do a search for, surprisingly enough, GeekGab. You can also uh, look to us on SoundCloud if you want to listen to us on the web uh, instead of on YouTube. Again, do a search for SoundCloud and we are do a search for GeekGab on SoundCloud, and we are available in the Google Play. Store multiple, multiple platforms available for you because that's how we roll. And we will put a link to uh, Susan's book in the description of the video on YouTube. The link to our YouTube channel, by the way, is is.gd dot gd slash geek gab. That is is dot good slash geek gab, and that'll take you right to. Uh, where you can listen to any one of our 68 scintillating episodes. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We, your hosts, are signing off for today. But don't fret, we will be back.